And welcome back to a tall glass of podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, one that I have experienced personally and one that I think most people can relate to at some point in their life. So the topic is the idea of truth to power, speaking truth to power. And what I mean by that is having these uncomfortable conversations with uh, loved ones or um, superiors in your professional life or um, customers, if you're in a customer service industry, whatever the case is, you're in a situation where someone has some type of power over you and you need to have an uncomfortable or difficult conversation with them, um, even go against what they're telling you or asking you to do. Um, I'm going to use two stories from my time in the Marine Corps to illustrate this and some lessons learned that I had, and then uh, we're going to kind of open it up and start the dialogue from there. So uh, rewinding the clock to summer of 2017, I checked into my unit on Camp Pendleton in San Diego, California. Got my team, I've uh, been training for six years for this opportunity, and I'm slated to deploy to Iraq about eight months from the time that I checked in, in summer of 2017. So got my team together, and I'm finally beginning the, the training cycle to get this group ready for deployment. And you're identifying all these requirements that you have to have to meet the, the, it's called theater entry requirements, basically what you need to have done before you can deploy to a combat zone. And uh, it's a long list of things. Some of them apply to certain regions. Some of them don't, whether that's medical um, exams and vaccinations for certain parts of the, the world or uh, specific gear you need to bring. And one of the things that came up quite often was this idea of having for my team, because we did some uh, intelligence collection activities. So the thought process was we may need an official passport. And what that official passport is, is basically a State Department issued passport. So not the personal one, you know, Mike travels with when he goes to Canada or Anthony travels with when he goes to Italy. We're talking an official passport from the State Department. Yes, correct. I don't travel I much, but that's fine. Thank you. So, yeah, right. A state passport funded by the taxpayer. We got you. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, I knew we didn't need one for the mission we were going to, but the in my immediate superior at the time was new to the unit. He actually didn't come from the same job specialty in the Marine Corps as, as the Marines that he was leading, which is kind of problematic in and of itself because he didn't know the ins and outs well. And just a gun ho kind of guy, um, didn't really understand and was pushing my team really hard to get a passport. So uh, we decided we'd listen and, and go for it. And we found out that our area that we were going to in Iraq didn't require a passport. And I made that very clear to him and he didn't accept the answer and basically told me to forage documents and say that we were going to a different part of the world um, to submit that to the State Department that did qualify for official passports. Uh, the rationale was shoddy at best and um, there so multiple- I was gonna, I was, I was gonna yeah. ask that, Jim. So like in layman's terms, what what was his rationale for doing for getting this passport? Basically, he thought because of the activities that my team specifically was going to be conducting in Iraq, it would behoove us to have a get out of dodge quick State Department issued passport. Um, so wouldn't so wouldn't you be like, yeah, let's get those, get a couple of them. If it yeah, I mean, I was forward until it was very clear that because we were going to Iraq and that like 
the mission that we were doing didn't really, we weren't going to be in a situation where we were out in town to the point where we could get arrested by like local Iraqi police. It didn't make sense. And that's why the state department basically put out the guidance and said, you know, these countries, if you're deploying to these countries, you qualify to get an official passport. If you're deploying to these countries, you don't. And we were on the, gotcha. you don't list. Sure. Um, so his way around that was, well, I don't accept what the state department's justification is. Therefore let's forage a bunch of documents which had taxpayer funded line of balance associated with them um, to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to go to another country, I think it was Saudi Arabia. And we were gonna basically generate up these, these mil official military orders, submit them with the intent of never actually going through with it. So money wouldn't have been actually spent, but money would have been allocated to a non-existent uh, mission set, which is, it basically takes a long time to get that money back. It eventually comes back, but due to inefficiencies, it would take a long time to get back. And it was just flat out lying um, is what he was asking me to do. So um, that was a situation where I, I exhausted a lot of the indirect approach and kind of trying to get him to see my point of view. So I ultimately went in, closed the door, I said, hey, sir, um, you know, I was a second lieutenant at the time, which is a brand new officer in the Marine Corps. And this was a- This was face to, this was face, to face. Yes. This and this was like a- This was over email or something like that. Eventually you ended up sitting down with this guy. Yeah, I went to his office, closed the door. Um, he was a 22 year major um, at the time. So the difference in experience and seniority was drastic. And, uh, and I said, hey, we, I, we need to talk. And, you know, I said that this is- I'm having some serious ethical concerns about this, what you're asking me to do, um, specifically the forging documents. You've tried to basically go around me at times and go directly to my Marines, my Marines to get them to submit this stuff. And ultimately, um, if you're giving me a, a, you know, an absolute order to go through with this, then um, I need at least the rest of the week to determine whether I'm going to follow through um, and do what you're asking me to do or, you know, disobey a direct order, which, the listeners out there um, disobeying a direct order unless it eventually is found to be um, immoral, unethical, or illegal is the end of an officer's career. So this was pretty much, you know, I'm three months into uh, my time after six years of training for this opportunity, and I'm looking at potentially um, it all getting blowing up right in front of my face. Wow. That's intense, man, for a, what, a 24-year-old at the time? Yeah, 24. Six, six, <laughs> I mean, only only six years, really, of experience, and four of those being your schooling. So right. only two, two professional years of experience outside of the academy years to first have the wherewithal to stay true to what you're – core values are in life and ethical values are in life in a job at that age definitely, sh you know, shows what type of person you are. Um, I'm intrigued to, you know, hear where this story goes from, from, from here. So this guy was a major, correct? That's right. 22 years, you said. And I find it interesting. I mean, th there's a good chance that this is just a common procedure. I mean, I, I'm assuming it was a pretty nonchalant, nonchalant uh, 
way of him saying like we should do this at, you know a, a yeah. procedure that he's followed in the past this isn't the first time this has happened maybe it's the first time he's been stood up to or the first time he's been uh, uh derided but and that's maybe, and you know you're spot on that's that's what the, the problem was is this had become standard operating procedure and no one had basically questioned this type of you know um activity like saying you're going to a country you're not going to in order to get a passport that you didn't need um I'll that's why I, <laughs> and i tried on multiple occasions to get my peers you know to to also get involved and to their credit they would but they wouldn't directly you know confront him it was more like let's just delay delay this type of thing and hopefully he comes around and um it just got to a point where uh you know, the idea of choosing what hill you're going to die on or like picking your battles, that concept, this was a battle that I was willing to basically stake my my career on because I, the way I looked at it, am I going to deploy with these Marines and they're going to trust me to, you know, um, do the necessary um, things to lead them effectively so that we can accomplish the mission and get home safe if they see me, you know, um, folding stateside to a, a clearly an unethical order from a superior um just was to me like there was no way that I, I would lose their trust and confidence by doing that and i would basically betray all the values that were instilled in me for like my entire life to that point so um i feel like i would feel like in addition to that you would have kind of like a foggy brain throughout this whole experience having this weight you know, on you of like, if you would have made that dis decision to go with what the standard operating procedure was at the time, here's this weight now on you for the next seven months. And let alone you're, you're deployed in a different country. Yeah. Fighting, fighting a battle on terror. So it's like, it's certainly, yeah. you want to be clear and focused no matter what task you're doing, but especially in the scenario that you were in. Yeah. And, and what's even, uh, crazier about it was I, I reached out to a few mentors of mine and, and other senior officers to get their opinion. Cause I'm like, maybe I'm just not seeing it, you know, correctly. Maybe I'm missing some key context here. Cause a lot of times that is the case. Like things look worse than they actually are when you really dig into them. And surprisingly, like people were very comfortable. They're like, no, it's, you know, there was only maybe, you know, one or two out of the 10 or so mentors that I reached out to that were like, yeah, you might want to continue to, to fight this. The rest were like, oh, you know, it's, it's no one's getting hurt by doing this. We're, we're trying to accomplish the mission. And I ultimately would, and I, in, in most cases, if, if a lot of people are telling you, Hey, this is the right way to go. You probably should listen to like your closest mentors when they do give you that advice. But this was just one of those. I had to trust my gut and uh, confront him. And, you know, he tried to help me out by basically saying uh, this is a direct order because he wanted to make it so black and white that he knew um, you know, he, he eliminated any gray area about what he was asking me to do. But by doing that, he also forced me to then tell him, you know, I need some time to think about how I want to pursue. And, and, you know, for all of his flaws to his credit, he did allow me that time. And just by, I don't know what would have happened guys. Like eventually I probably would have been vindicated and everything, but I probably would have been pulled off of that team it throughout like the legal procedures and all the stuff that would go on with it. So even though I may have come out clean at the end, uh, I wouldn't have been able to deploy with the team most likely. Cause you know, like just going through that 
multiple months long process, it would have um, muddied up my ability to deploy and things like that. So what so, did happen, Jim? Yeah, Why so as, as crazy as uh, this sounds, um, basically during that time that I asked to, to think about things, another senior Marine heard about this that I, I didn't really know or wasn't close with and immediately escalated it to basically the Pentagon and said like, hey, I'm going completely outside of the chain of command to do this because I believe that this major and then his commanding officer and then the next commanding officer, you know, all the way up the chain to like the colonel level is like going, if I, if I report it to them, they're going to like sweep it under the rug. Um, right. And the, it's called the inspector general, basically, which is, you know, the highest level investigator for things of this nature got involved and an investigation ensued. I was like a key witness in the situation. And ultimately this major was relieved of command, which is, um, you know, you're fired from your position, which is the end of your career. And he almost, um, what he, he was brought to is called the board of inquiry, but, and he had to stand in front of a three-star general and, um, came very close to being like the officers don't get dishonorably discharged, but it was the, it's called the, it's the equivalent of being dishonorably discharged. And he would have lost all of his 20, you know, he's already passed the 20 year retirement. He would have lost everything. Um, but they ultimately let him keep that, but they did completely fire him. You know, luckily I, I the investigation happened before I had to disobey the order directly. And by a matter of like two days, because once the investigation started, I kind of was like, I was clean. I was good to kind of still be a witness, but not um, involved directly in like the, the proceedings. And uh, yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy is, he ultimately then went after me and tried to like basically say that I was lying about certain things. Like it got real ugly, but at that point, his, his word was so tarnished because they did find him, you know, they did validate that he was lying and asking people to lie that his attacks on me and stuff were just like, relatively speaking, dismissed by anyone with, with like investigative power. So. Right. Which thank God, I mean, thank God this was something he had done before because I mean, would it have been your word against his? Yeah. And that's what it was, it was turning into was because a lot of, a lot of times in the military, when you get asked to be like a, basically provide a statement like be a witness um if it's if it's against the senior some people are afraid of what's called reprisal like they're afraid if they testify that they're going to be you know negatively held accountable long term so right. a lot of people were like softening their statements about the situation and i'm i'm sure. just writing it as it happened and then yeah i mean that's why he went after me and basically said that i was lying about certain things and i mean there's a lot more to this story. I'll spare the, no, sure, <laughs> the sure, listeners sure. The, the details, but um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I bring this up because this was a story where, you know, um, I, I, I chose this as a battle, as a hill that I was like willing to stake my career and, and like, you know, the hill I'm willing to die on as a, you know, the, the saying goes. Um, but I do not recommend it as a, um, as a default kind of, you know, decision. Like this should be an, at, at the last, um, at all costs, like this is the last thing you should be doing because it is so dicey and it can like destroy everything you've worked for. Um, sure. so, you know, it brings me to the next story. Now we're on deployment, a totally different commander. Uh, this guy was actually a Colonel, still a complete total asshole, just like the last guy. <laughs> um, unfortunately I had pretty bad, uh, leadership for the first few years in the Marine Corps, but then the last couple of years I had, um, some really exceptional leaders, but anyway, this guy was a total asshole. And, 
my team, again, because we were doing some really specialized intelligence related stuff, we actually didn't, even though he was like the base commander over in Iraq, my team was one of the only teams that didn't actually work for him directly. We supported him, but like he didn't have direct tasking authority over myself and my team, which he hated because I was some lieutenant who basically could tell him like, yeah, I don't work for you. And he's a 30 year, you know, colonel. Um, so just a, a kind of a, a, a non-ideal situation to put a lieutenant in, but it's just the way that things shook out with the, the way the authorities broke down with some of the stuff we did. And uh, he had basically directed me to do something that was against what our mission was, um, but it wasn't unethical. It wasn't immoral. Um, so it wasn't as easy of a calculation as that passport situation that was like pretty clear black and white. And this is a time where I probably made the mistake of confronting it directly again, when there was probably a better tool in the tool belt of some type of indirect approach or using my actual superiors, that other chain of command to back me up. And I tried to basically go tit for tat with this colonel. And ultimately, like I was right. Like I wasn't wrong in what I was doing. It was very clear I didn't work for him. But what I learned from that is, um, you know, the, the saying, uh, do you want to be right or do you want to win? And I was right, but I probably lost in the long run because even though we didn't work for him, he was a senior guy on this base. And like anything we wanted to do to accomplish our mission, he kind of needed to be a part of that. And he made our life from that point on so much fucking harder than it needed to be. And because um, he's a colonel and I'm a lieutenant, like, I only have limited ability to really influence him the way the military structured that difference in rank is so huge that, you know, even though I didn't work for him, I still had to respect him and listen to him about certain things. So, um, you know, I bring up the story because both involved truth to power and confronting situations, but you know, the first one, I think the direct approach was necessary because it was an unethical, immoral or illegal type of issue that was being asked of. The other one was more, I just wanted to be right instead of I wanted to win. And, um, yeah, something I learned from it and I thought it was you know, a good topic to bring up because I'm sure everyone can relate to situations like that. Um, and, and I'd be curious to hear what you guys, any questions you have or some, you know, related stories around that. It sounds like, I, I do like how you said, you know, in one story, how maybe you, you were, you were a little too headstrong. Whereas in one story, you, you really feel like it was cut and dry. And I guess that's what, truth has become this day and age is it, it can be a little ambiguous when it comes to personal experience. You know what I mean? Like you speak your truth, but your truth is not necessarily the other person's truth. <laughs> you might be yeah. going up against. I mean, honest to God, I mean, this day, this day and age, um, you know, there's just so many different people with so many different uh, upbringings and beliefs and thoughts that um, you, you, you have a hard time sometimes speaking your truth when, like I said, it's not, it's not going to be theirs. You, they're not going to line up. Um, so, um, and it's very, it's very bold of you. I think uh, when going up against these career guys, I mean, in my business, I always tip my hat to the senior guys. Um, I mean, most of them were family anyways. So um, kind of what they said was uh, kind of gospel. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to hear that, especially when you know that those guys that have been there for 30, 20 years, they, they've had some experience over yours. And you, you might have that moment where you're like, wait a minute, do, 
maybe they're right because maybe they know something that I don't know. <laughs> doing this for that yeah. much fucking longer. You have that moment of doubt where you're like, I know I'm right, but how could I how could I be right? You know? their, like how what could are their motivations? Yeah. Right. What are their motivations? Yeah. They gotta have there's gotta be something. But at the same time, like you also think, you know, what do they say? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like once you get higher and higher as you climb. When you have yeah. less, when you have less, less confrontations with with your perceived truth, the more you you can kind of uh, ignore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's a huge problem, I think, in in the military. Um, as you progress in seniority on the on the on the officer side, like you don't get told no often. You know, if you if you say, "Hey, do this." instant obedience to orders is, is expected and people sure. are going to hop to and go. I mean, that's how we win wars and we defend this yeah. country. Um, but there's gotta always be that, Hey, there are certain things that if you ask me to do, I'm not going to do, but not honestly. And this, this might be kind of disappointing to hear you would expect better, but most of the, not most, a lot of the officers that I, and just general leaders in the Marine Corps that I met weren't willing to do that. I don't know if it was just, you know, they, they valued their career more than they did their principles or, um, you know, but I looked at it always as like, I have the, you know, in the oath of office that you take as an officer, like you have the special trust and confidence of the president of the United States. Like you better fulfill that responsibility. And that means yeah. like, yes, instant obedience to legal orders, not any order. And, right. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like, it's kind of funny because to your point, Mike, like, I almost would like gaslight myself as like, there's no possible way I'm I'm right here. Like, this, right. this guy's been in the Marine Corps longer than I've been on planet Earth. He's seen more battlefields than I'll ever see. How could he, how can I be like diametrically opposed on a topic that's like a matter of right and wrong, not a matter of like opinion? And um yeah, I mean, I think I think that's why you reach out to people and ask for like a second opinion or like reach out to mentors and say, hey, sure. you know, I'm missing something. But, Go outside um, the bubble. But it's yeah. like and at the same time, too, I think in the military and much like any even a business, you have to be sure footed because you, if you make a decision and I'm talking about your superior officers, they make a decision. That initial decision you almost have to show, you almost have to be 100% behind the initial decision. You can't waver. Waver, you know, wavering on, on any decision is a sign of weakness. And people pick up on that. Even if you're like, well, you know what, maybe I'm tainted. Maybe I'm jaded. This younger officer coming in saying, hey, we probably shouldn't be doing this. Maybe he's right. They want to dig in. There's no, yeah. there's no room for that. You can't. Yeah. And I've seen this. I've seen this in personal business. When you, when you meet these business owners and they're like, this is what needs to be done. You're like, I can blatantly see that you are a hundred percent wrong. I can blatantly, <laughs> I can blatantly yeah. see you're hundred percent wrong. And they're like, the, the fucking grass is orange. And you're like, no, <laughs> I fucking know it's not. I've been brought up. I know it's not. I, I've seen it every day in my life, but they, you, you have to dig in because to second guess you're, you're out as far as your public perception is. And in, I don't know if in, in the military, that's just your, your peers around you. I know in my business, it's a customer. If you second guess, why am I smashing a giant hole in your ceiling? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Like I didn't, I, I, the leak turned out to be upstairs. I could have seen it from upstairs. I didn't have to put a hole in your ceiling. I would never say that. Speaking of truth, right? Oh, I smashed a giant hole in your ceiling to find this leak. It turns out it was something I could have seen from upstairs, but I wouldn't say that. I'm saying, thank God we opened this hole, right? <laughs> now we know everything here is good. We had no way of knowing otherwise. You have to stay steadfast because otherwise um, mistakes don't, they don't elicit a positive response. Even if you are humbled, even if you say, oh, you know what, that's, that's a problem. I think that's like the machismo of like what we do in our everyday job, what we do when we work, especially if you've been doing it that long. Right? Yeah. And like in age, age is such a thing, right? Like these For guys sure. were close to my parents' age and they got this, sure. this, this, in their eyes, this kid, first, yeah. first, uh, first deployment, brand new lieutenant. You sure. know, basically, and I look young too. And you didn't like, have the face. You didn't you know, have the at the time. I didn't know. I was baby faced. Yeah. Young boy. Yeah. Right. And uh, so that's a big that 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 clouds people's judgment too, because there's no way. Like, look at it from their perspective. There's no goddamn way this like 23 year old is correct on a topic that I'm I'm disagreeing with them on because I I've, right. I've seen it all. I've seen it all. He's seen it none of it. Um, yeah. So. I mean, Anthony, what are your yeah. thoughts? I keep thinking of, you know, any good sports team, any good business, any good family, right? You can even go back to, you have a clear understanding of what your core values and your core principles are. And when it, when it's not addressed every day in some way by the top guy, by the head coach, by the vice president of the department by the, even the director of the department or it, as a, as a manager managing a group of coaches for youth summer camp or whatever, if it's not addressed every day, what our core values are, it makes, it makes every decision just a task oriented decision and not really an, a decision based off of what those values are. And going back to the framework. And and that's what I'm hearing when you're explaining these two stories, Jim, is that, yes, these guys were well-respected in the military, but could they reflect back on their experience as very task-oriented and not really towards a framework or towards a specific, like, value of the, of their own, right? Like you, like you address. And I think that was just what was brought up here in these scenarios is that you took, took it a little bit personal and said, Hey, I'm, I'm not agreeing what, what's going on here. Cause it's unethical based on my core values and what I'm rooted with. So I'm going to have to question you. And yeah. And, and, and what's so hard too, though, and I will say, I didn't really touch on this, but it's, it's another consideration I also had this, the whole time this, both these situations is going down, I'm looking at it through the lens as this, as this leader of a, of a five, six Marine unit, you know, getting ready for deployment in the first story, on deployment in the second story. And I'm sitting there thinking, both of these situations are jeopardizing the success of our team. Because the first one, I could have been relieved of 
my duties and they would have had a new OIC come in and it wouldn't have been me. And I knew these guys, I went to school with them. I had a great relationship with them. They respected me. I respected them. So I was concerned, you know, like, do I follow through and like compromise my morals and ethics because I can stay with my team. And that ultimately gives, in my opinion, the best chance for us to succeed and not some other guy or gal to come in and lead my, my fucking team, the guys that I trained with, the guys that I, you know, prepared with and the guys that I, you know, would do anything for. And for me, what, what ultimately decided it was I didn't want them, like I said, to look at their OIC and see someone willing to fold in a peacetime Southern California environment because he was too afraid to stand up to his superior. Because what the hell was that going to mean when we were downrange and we were in the middle of the Iraqi desert with, you know, um, actively targeting terrorist organizations in and around us, you know, um, that's kind of where I made that decision. But then the second story wasn't as easy. I mean, it was like, Hey, what this guy's asking me to do is like completely against what our mission is. So it is going to impact our, our mission in the short term. But if I piss this Colonel off the long term, the rest of this deployment is just going to be a total pain in the ass for my guys. And, right. you know, I still think about that because even though, again, like I was, I was right. I ultimately, he conceded when I had to pep the support from above backing me up, but I shouldn't have opposed him as directly as I did because I immediately made an enemy. He immediately, like I became his enemy and it just became so fucking difficult to get things done. And we ultimately succeeded just with a lot more pain in the ass type of supervision and annoyance than what was needed. So, um, it's easier when you're like an individual making a decision, but when you're like also making the decision as the leader of an organization, it's not as like, there's just a lot more dimension to it. Um, I guess is what I'm trying to say. For sure. Yeah, for sure, man. It was a price you guys had to pay, I guess, in that second story, um, not giving in to what you believed in and what you're, what you're, what you knew the mission to be, um, the object, the objective to be, um, it's, it stinks at times, but you know, I think you ultimately made the right decision at the end and you also learned from it in that second story. Um, you know, you're always greater in a, in a pack, in a group. And definitely when you have, when you can, uh, address a scenario with your sub superior, you know, maybe that would have been able to, relieve some of that challenge after the fact with this colonel, but still, you know, uh, you made the decision, you stuck by it and that's ultimately what you got to do. For sure. You know, it's, it's tough, you know, uh, in the field I am, that is of contracting. Uh, I don't know if I would say honesty is like, it's very, it's a strange topic. You know what I mean? We all have had our, our fair share of uh, experiences with contractors. Uh, and uh, you always feel like they're trying to get one over on you. And a lot of them are. So it's, uh, it's tough. Because in my business, and, and when, I'm face, you know, when I'm face-to-face with customers, um, the truth isn't always the best thing for them. You know, to be completely honest with some people, is, is, is a lot of times going to make things worse. Uh, but I'm dealing with just the public. I'm not dealing with my superiors or my bosses. I'm dealing with people who are in a crisis, 
who've called me because they're having a problem and uh, they just want to know that the problem's going to be fixed. You know, they don't want to know if I'm running into something I've never ran into before or if I'm in over my head or if this is going to take longer than I thought or if this is going to be a problem or if this is going to cost them more and more and more and more money. They just want the problem fixed and you kind of have to navigate that. Um, and then you always run into people that are just like, you know, they're crazy and they're just, uh, they see you as a villain from the moment you walk through the door. You can't change their minds, no matter how much you count out to them, they, they're going to see you as a villain. So then you have to navigate that. And, uh, honesty doesn't work in that case either. So, you know, again, it's nice to hear that within the structure of the military that you can, uh, still stick to your morals and, and what, what is truth to you. Um, but I find that in the business, when you're interfacing with a person to a person and these people, like I said, are in crisis, uh, you have to kind of speak a, a different kind of language to them, which doesn't always come out as being true. I guess is what I'm trying to say in my own personal experience. So, yeah, but that's the, that's kind of that indirect approach. I mean, that we're, that we're talking about here, like the ultimate goal in your situation is not to not to be 100% truthful to the customer it's to fix their issue and get yourself paid so like honestly like you know you're not you're not lying for the sake of um screwing these people over you're you're omitting information that is of no value and really is going to make the situation way fucking worse right you know it's and it's funny too because you think to yourself you're like oh they they probably want to know this you're in your head you're like they probably want to know i've never done this before or i have no idea what's going on you know a big one for for people is like they have odors in their house like sewer odors like i've got a i've got a smell i don't know where it's coming from and i want to tell them over the phone like i have no i, I there's a good chance i'll have no idea where that's coming from and it's, we're just going to use up a bunch of time and money to try to find it it's going to be a nightmare but you can't say that you want to but they're not going to have you out at your house so it's um it's a thing to navigate, but uh, to your point, to your to your point, you are right. It's kind of an indirect approach, um, but uh, you know, that's it. At the end of the day, kind of just have to speak the language without being so direct. Yeah, it's the the whole. Do you want to be right or do you want to want to win type of thing? Exactly. Like, the goal is to win. Whether whatever the situation right. is, you want to win the situation you're in. Not win for personal reasons, but win for collective good or, or to fulfill your mission or, or whatever the case is. Um, sure. And as long as you're not violating like clear ethical, moral, legal standards to get oh, there, sure. then and you know, by all means. And yeah. you know, if you were raised with some sort of moral compass, you know when you're like way out of the lines. I mean, it has to nag at you. You yeah. all have a conscious, right? Yeah. And it's got to nag at you and you're kind of like, listen, I'm way outside the boundary. I, I want to take care of my objectives. I want to get paid. I want to fix the problem, but I got to stay within this, this realm, so to speak. I think an important piece to draw out of these stories too is, and, um, and I only bring it up also cause it's something I'm working on as well. And it's all right at a time to be a yes man, but it's, uh, learning, learning, how to evolve that yes into, okay, could we challenge, could we challenge authority a little bit 
in a sense of like not to overstep them or prove them wrong, right? But the win in the situation is maybe saying no initially to that task or what they're asking you to do um, because you might have a better idea, one. And also it's going against, you know, in this case, it was an ethical reasoning. But, you know, challenging in a sense of to yourself too, not being that yes person. Um, yeah, there's this concept. It's called... Um, it's basically, it's taught to lead in leadership principles of, it's called yes and. Yes. And the idea is basically someone can say something off the fucking wall. Like, hey, I think we should accomplish this mission by insert like totally ridiculous, stupid idea. And instead of being like, well, that was really dumb and I don't respect your opinion and may God have mercy on your soul. I award you zero points. <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea is basically you, you know, say like, oh yeah, okay. And, and then you go and you basically kind of redirect the whole situation to a much more like workable solution, but they don't, it disarms their, like their ego of you being like, no, right stupid. Away. Shut, yeah. like shut up, you know? Um, so that's an idea to use too in certain scenarios. But so, so Jim, what do you, what do you want the audience to know after this whole this tale of treacherous? Lies? I'd say know know your core values, stick to them, and when backed into an absolute corner with no other options, put your foot down. But exhaust every other option before it gets to that point because it's a really really tenuous position to be in. And thanks for listening to a tall glass of podcast. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.